I am. You said, before Abraham was, I am. It's always been you. Upholding the universe by the word of your power. And that's the power we sing of this morning. The word of God, now made flesh. The great I am. Be enthroned on the praises of your people this morning. You are deserving, worthy of all that we ascribe to you. You are majestic. You are mighty. And yet, you are meek. How can this be? The one who formed the heavens, the one who spoke, and it was so. Now, coming down, mournful and meek. Lowly for us. In your mightiness and in your meekness, we say worthy, we say holy. Jesus, thank you for your majesty and your meekness. Now, by your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, continue to work, convicting us of sin, illuminating your word. Give Pastor Rick a boldness to speak, a clarity a wisdom, only fearing what you think, not what we think. And give us ears to hear, hearts to hear, and hands to do what your word says. Jesus, it's in your meek and majestic we say amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship and our kids can be dismissed to the lobby. I'm so glad you're here. I, I, I am. I, I realize that uh, for us who live in Chicago, snow isn't something that's uh, unusual. 
But we were a little deceived this year, right? Kind of nothing happening. But now it's all white and all good. And you're here. You know, I was just thinking as we were worshiping our God, I, uh, I was amazed. I, I was so grateful that I was here. I loved as Brendan came boldly into the presence of God and, and prayed for you and for us. This is an amazing time, a time that we get to together worship and adore, to be fed, to be encouraged, to hear from God. His word is amazing. His word is powerful. Every word in it is life-giving. Today, we continue our focus on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus came teaching and healing, destroying the effects of the fall and evil, and modeling what kingdom living looks like when we're walking with the Father. What normal life ought to look like under the reign and the rule of God? Now, I don't know about the first two weeks for you, but that inspires me. But it also convicts me. It convicts me. Jesus sharing his heart, helping us understand what it means to do life, normal life, how to... Look at our own sin. How to look at God. How to look at others. And he is just teaching the multitudes and breaking all the rules. The things he's talking about is countercultural. So far, we've covered the first two kingdom truths, or you know them basically as the Beatitudes. The blessings of the Beatitudes are for those who are realistic about their sinfulness, who are repentive of their sins, and who are responsible to God. Those who are unblessed, unhappy, and unapproved are the proud, the arrogant, the unrepentant, the self-sufficient, and the self-righteous who feel no need for God or his righteousness. The first one we looked at was God approves of those who know they are spiritually bankrupt and have a need for him. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Last week, we focused on the second. God approves of those who mourn over their sin, for they alone will be comforted. Wow, there's been a lot of discussion after that one. A lot of talks between spouses and in small groups, asking hard questions, tough questions. Do I really mourn over sin? Have I ever mourned over sin? Not something that you codger up, not something like, oh, in some pharisaical way, and oh, I'm low. 
maybe it comes out that way sometimes. But as you see who God is, and you see his holiness, and you see how we sometimes quite casually look at our offenses and look how, well, sin isn't that big of a deal. But Jesus said, those who will be most satisfied, who listen to my Father, will mourn, lament, grieve over their rebellion. Today we're going to look at the third beatitude. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, why don't you turn there? But I'm going to pray first. Father, once again, we come to you so often. Sometimes we are pleading with you. Sometimes we are affirming how great and wonderful you are. Sometimes we're broken and we confess. Sometimes we're praying for others. But God, this privilege of coming boldly into your throne room is something we never want to get tired of. Our Father, the Creator, the Almighty God, we can talk to anyone who is part of your family can address you Father or Dad. And yet there's this respect Yes, you're dad, but you're also king, king of kings. And so, God, we come before you just recognizing you are king and you are dad. We love you. We want to please you. But, God, we struggle. We struggle because the enemy deceives us and the enemy lies and uses the culture all around us. Oh, God, if you would... Help us see you clearly. Take the blinders off our eyes. And would we please you in everything we do. Father, for some churches, some churches right in our area, we pray your greatest blessing on all of them all over the world. But specifically today, Father, we pray for Northbridge. And we pray for New Hope. And we pray for Fierce. We ask you, dear God, that you would use the teaching and the worship, that they would be salt and light, and that we all, your church, would be faithful in the days to come. Father, I pray for those teachers downstairs. I pray for the kids downstairs. I pray for the ministries, not only there, but happen all week long here. Whether they be inside our walls or outside our walls, we ask you, dear God, that you would do a work in us and through us that your kingdom would come. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. One verse, chapter 5, verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. 
God approves of those who are gentle and meek and mild, for they will inherit the whole earth. Let's try and understand the Greek word praus. And, and normally we don't need to focus on that, but in this case, the word which is translated humble could be translated actually so many different ways. And I think if we can understand the context here, I think we will go away with a better picture. So praus certainly has a note of humility in the word, but it may be better understood as gentle or meek or mild. But when we use those words, they're basically culturally offensive. No one really likes to be described as that. But that's the word that Jesus uses here. In fact, it is a term used of cults whose wild spirits were broken by a trainer. It's a word that describes the gentle strength of a horse under submission. In fact, today, the term to break a horse is to gentle the horse. A good trainer breaks the will of the animal, not the spirit. It is power under control. Because if you understand horses, unbroken wild horses are of no value to anyone. They look nice in the movies. They look nice on pictures. But that's it. Synonyms for praus would be gentle of spirit, meek, submissive, quiet or tender-hearted when you're speaking of a person. Now, these words, when Jesus used them, would absolutely shock the first century Jews who were looking for a bold, powerful, verbose type of Messiah or leader. Now, another way to understand exactly what Jesus is saying, that is before we get to the practical part, it's to grasp an understanding of a specific biblical term is to actually see how it's used in the rest of the scriptures. Because in that context, we'll have a little bit better idea of what Jesus is encouraging each one of us to be. Now, the Apostle Paul, he used this word actually quite often. And in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and, and some of you know the book of Ephesians, it's an amazing letter to this most mature church. And in the first three chapters, Paul just almost like a machine gun goes over and over and over who we are in Christ, how amazing God is, what grace is all about. And then all of a sudden, chapter 4, it's just like he turns the page and he says, in light of who God is and who you are in God, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way I live. So in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, because of all those first three chapters, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul's talking about himself. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. He, he just stops right there. And, and he just says, hey, I, I, 
I want you to understand uh, your calling, what it means to be a son, a daughter. This is so amazing. It is so big. This calling changes the way you live. So in light of that, being a child of the king, always be humble and gentle. And you see the word gentle highlighted. This is proos right there. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. He says, hey, when you're walking with God, you will always be humble, gentle, meek. In Colossians chapter 3, just about the same thing happens in the book of Colossians. Paul focuses on our standing in the first two chapters. But going to chapter 3, he says, in light of who we are in Jesus, this is how you live. This is what makes you different as a God follower. And in verse 12, he says this, since God chose you to be a holy people he loves. You must clothe yourself. He gives us this picture of of clothing. He says, hey, this is something you put on. You, You behave differently. You look at people differently. You look at God differently. You put these things on. You must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, that's our word, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul is painting a picture of people who are walking with God. Oftentimes when you read these scriptures, you can go over them quickly or you can just stop. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Ask the questions, Father, where do you need to grow me? Where do I need to repent? Where are some things? And and for the most part, you might kind of go over a few of these words saying, well, maybe someday, but I don't really need to pay attention to them now. You know, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy It's actually the last letter he writes to a pastor, a young pastor, and it's right before he dies, actually uh, before he's killed. And so these words are pretty important. In 2 Timothy, he starts off chapter 2, starting in verse 24. He says, a servant of the Lord, or you could put in there a leader, someone who again walks with God, must not Quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Are you starting to see some patterns here? This person should be able to teach and should be patient with difficult people. Gently, this is the word, instructing those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. You're going to find as we continue looking at this word that this is very key. 
A meek person is one that submits to God and allows God to do the work in other people. God will do the changing of these hearts. This word was also used to describe Jesus. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1 and 2. This isn't the main point of this verse, but listen how Paul, listen how Paul opens up. He says, now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness, that's the word, and the kindness of Christ. Actually, you're going to see if you read through this that he's actually going to be quite bold and he's going to be quite harsh. And there's some things he needs to deal with in this church at Corinth. But, but he starts off and says, hey, I'm going to appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I'm timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I'm begging you now. So that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. The idea, again, is this, is that, that there is a meekness, whether a person is a leader or not, whether someone has to deal with hard things or not. There's a meekness, a gentleness, a kindness that only comes from spending time with God. If you've been part of our ministry here, part of our community, you realize that at least once a year, we go over the greats, the great invitation, the great commandment, and the great commission. These are all things that Jesus focused on, and we feel as a church we need to focus on these things. But in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, this is the great, or the great invitation. And, and Jesus was looking out at the multitudes, and he basically said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you. What an amazing picture, which you all may not understand, but, but you will. Then Jesus says this, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle. In other words, Jesus is, is saying this, come to me, I will encourage you, I will strengthen you, a relationship with me is so important, and I want you to learn from me, I am gentle, I am a meek, I'm humble. Wow. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In Matthew 21, verse 5, the people see a king riding in. And this is how Jesus is described. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble. He is meek. That's the word. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You see, meekness is courage, strength, conviction, and pleasantness. Is that a word, pleasant? I, I keep asking. I think it's a word. Thank you. Pleasantness that only can come from God. 
simply because we don't naturally behave like this. It does not use its power for its own defense or selfish purposes. Meekness is this quiet power, something that flows from a person who is completely surrendered to God, submissive to God. It is a quiet spirit using God's power, yet submitting to God's authority. So we see that meekness is not weakness or emotional flabbiness. Meekness is not a person with a limp handshake or someone without a spine. Meekness is not a coward or someone to be trampled upon. Remember, when all of us walked with Jesus, he chips away all the things in our lives from the inside out that don't reflect him well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes this, So all of us who have had that veil removed, in other words, have come to see Jesus the way that he is, who have responded to his invitation by God's grace, all those who have the veil removed and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, listen to this, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. God's will for every believer, for you and for me, is that we reflect him better every day, that we look more like Jesus every day. Meekness is the means by which God delivers us from pride, harshness, aggression, vengeance, and turmoil. In fact, meekness is the fruit of a submissive spirit. Wow. A, a submissive spirit was countercultural back then. But actually, a submissive spirit is countercultural today. Who likes to submit to authority? even when it's right to submit to authority. We can justify. We can rationalize. But meekness is a fruit of a submissive spirit. Colin Smith, in his book Momentum, lists three areas of submission that helps us grow in meekness. I was thinking as I was reading his book this week and, and, and doing some research, what a privilege I had. I sat underneath Colin's teaching. He's the senior pastor at Orchard right now. He's on Moody. He's on a million other places. But the truth is I had the privilege, both Sharon and I, actually my family, we got to sit underneath his teaching. For six years, listening, hearing, I was so blessed and encouraged. And, and as I read his book in this area, I saw some great wisdom here. 
He lists three areas of submission that we can grow. First of all, he says, submission to God's word. In James chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, James writes this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly and with meekness accept the word of God which is planted in your hearts. For this word of God has the power to save your souls. So just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You want to grow in weakness. You and I will need to grow in our submission to God's word, that it is our authority that every word is important and that the Holy Spirit that lives in us can teach us and can convict us. You see, a self-willed person hears God's words but reserves the right to disagree. Let me say that again. A self-willed person hears God's word but reserves the right to disagree. Really? God calls our disagreement disobedience or sin. Now, we've been raised in a culture to, again, be able to take all authorities, be able to filter their words and say, hey, I agree or I disagree. So it's easy to come to the Bible. It's easy to read this and say, hey, God, I really like this part, but you know this part? I'm not so, I, I, I don't agree with that one. Well, why would I do that? That sounds foolish. You look at God's advice on giving. You look at God's advice on relationships. You look at God's advice even in authority. Like, are you serious, God? Secondly, Colin says, to grow in weakness, we need to submit to God's will. You know, it's hard not to find a more convicting passage than in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Jesus himself is just about ready to go to the cross. He just got through eating the Last Supper with his disciples. He's in a garden. He's pouring his heart out. And this is what the scripture says. And he went on a little further, bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. None of us, let me say, can even begin to imagine what being crucified would be. Actually, this was even before all the beatings, all the maiming, all all the mockery, all all the things that happened to Jesus even before he got to the cross. There isn't anyone in this room, I don't think, that say, sign me up. Whoa, this is so cool. 
I can't wait to save a bunch of people that don't even care. Jesus knew what was coming. And he prayed, Father, <laughs> Father, if it's possible, another way could this pass? Yet listen how he ends. Yet I want your will to be done, Father, not mine. So your will is that I do this. Your will is that I go through this. Your will seems really hard. I'm going to submit. I'm going to listen. And the truth is, I don't think God ever asks us to do anything as hard as this. Maybe at times, but this is pretty tough. Lastly, Colin says, in order to grow in meekness, we need to submit to God's people. Submission is a mark of walking with God in the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes this again to a very mature church. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes on, talks to wives and husbands. But this is a directive to all of us. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, the author writes this, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Submission is a mark of walking with God. We grow in our meekness as we listen to God. You see, meekness grows through the discipline of committed relationships in the body of Christ. It's a little bit like this. If some of you grew up and you were the only kid in your family, it's a very experience, a, a different experience than if you grow up in a family with 12. That's all I can say. Oftentimes, and, and please hear me out and don't get mad, but if you're the only one, sometimes you get a little bit of special treatment. You know what I mean? Or maybe two. But I don't know if special treatment comes when you've got seven or eight or nine or ten. You know what I mean? I, I mean, quit moaning and eat the peas because you're not getting anything else. All right? But I don't like peas. Okay, don't eat. And you go on and on and on and on. You, you, you're not allowed in a large family not to pick up. You're not allowed in a large family not to be a team. You're not allowed to do that. You can't function. That's how it is in the body of Christ. 
You can't function. And meekness grows, listening to others, being gracious and kind to others because you're committed to the relationship. Not when something goes wrong, you don't leave your family. Although, again, what seven, eight, nine-year-old in any family says, I'm out of here, right? You say, okay, well, there's a door, you know, come back when you're hungry. Come back when you're cold. Come back sometime, you know, hopefully. But in the church, sometimes we just take off. We just leave. We don't agree. Instead of being committed to working through issues. You see, meekness goes against the grain of our culture's rugged individualism. Meekness comes into play in a church when you don't get your way or when a decision is not to your liking. The more faith we have in God allows us to joyously submit to others. Now, let me also say this, is that there are limits to submit, submitting to God's people or God leaders. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, one of the great retorts that Peter says, he's told, do not talk about God anymore. And Peter, very boldly, to the most powerful authority, at least at that time, says, hey, guys, I just want you to know, we better obey God, not man. So we are not going to listen to you. The truth is, there is no submission to people who ask you to act or think contrary to the word of God. Now, let's try to understand what Jesus is saying in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The essential difference, the essential difference between being poor in the spirit and being meek which again, if you look at different translations, it's verse 3 and verse 5, might be that poverty in spirit focuses on our sinfulness in light of God's holiness, whereas meekness has more to do with a person's relationship with God and with others. The basic attitude of humility underlines both virtues, we again can see a logical sequence and progression in the Beatitudes. Poverty of the spirit, being spiritual bankrupt, understanding our position. Well, this is negative, but it results in mourning, which is the second, and meekness, which is the third, and both of those are positive, which results in next week when we talk about seeking righteousness. You see, being poor in spirit causes us to turn away from ourselves in mourning. And meekness causes us to turn toward God, trusting him in all things. You see, meekness arises from spiritual poverty and spiritual mourning. The man who sees how often he has been mistaken will not insist on his own way. He, he will express his opinion and then listen to the wisdom of others and even give weight to what they say. The man who is weak 
doesn't defend himself or pity himself. Dr. Lloyd, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old-time preacher, his series on the Sermon on the Mount, I think, went about 45 years. Uh, it's hyperbole. But it's, it, it went for a really long time, and he, and he loved talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And he puts it this way. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Finally, he says this. I would put it like this. We are to leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of God, and especially so if we feel we are suffering unjustly. Now there's a promise. There's a promise just like in every one of these Beatitudes. And the promise for all those who are gentle, all those who are meek, all those who are mild, they will inherit the whole earth. Inherit the whole earth. To inherit refers to receiving of one's allotted portion. All right? In this context, though, the immediate benefit is that a meek person is always satisfied. He is a person who is already content. His ego is not so inflated that he thinks he must always have more. He is satisfied and content with Jesus. My sense is a meek person is going to stick out in our culture. Now, truthfully, one day, we will come into the fullness of our inheritance. And his promise will be filled literally when we spent eternity with Jesus. In a place with no sin. And to be able to have access to our Savior forever and ever and ever. You see, people who walk with God will be blessed. The future is amazing now, right now, and eventually when they close their eyes. You know, I'd like to wrap up. But like I've been doing in the last few weeks, I'd like for you to do something before I pray. This beatitude says that God approves of all those who are gentle, meek, and mild, for they will inherit the whole earth. My guess is, is that it's probably most of our, well, it's probably not most of our natural bent. Perhaps we need to grow in our faith. Perhaps we need to repent of our arrogance of our blindness. So right now, I'd like you to just be quiet before God. The lights are going to go down. I'd like you just actually just even shut your eyes if you'd like. And to be able, you talk to God. God, what is it that you're telling me today? Well, what is it that needs to change? God, what is it that 
I need to grow in. Lord, are there some people I need to apologize to? Are there some sins in my life I need to confess? Oh, God, do a work in me today. Let's do that right now. Let's just be quiet, and let's just talk to God. And I'll pray in just a moment. Father, we know your spirit is alive and working. We know even as we open up this portion of your scripture, you have multitudes of people sitting around you, folks that wanted to make you a king. And you talked to them boldly and bluntly. And you said, you know, walking with my father and living underneath his reign and rule is going to look really different than what you're used to. You are going to need to recognize your sinfulness and how holy my Father is. You're going to have to look at your sin and not casually respond, but to mourn and to lament. And and you are going to need to be meek, mild. You are going to gain a strength that I will give you, an authority. You, you will need to trust me to take care of situations. And, and it's going to look different. And we hear these words, Father, thousands of years later. And they ring and they're powerful. And we desire deeply to follow you with all of our hearts. Lord, we each have so much baggage. We each have so many anchors. We, we, we justify our actions. And we rationalize our lives. God, would we see you clearly? Would we respond to you wholeheartedly? Would you teach us to be submissive to your word and to your will and to others? Would we grow in meekness, Lord? Would that be one of the earmarks 
of us. We continually, Father, come before you and desire to bow down. And yet it's hard sometimes to do that. Give us the courage to trust you. Grow our faith today. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together.